Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Kevin. This is Good Company in the Car. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. If she walks by, the men folks stand in rows. Do you think Catherine Zeta-Jones is pretty? I think she's attractive, but I don't think she. I don't get the hype. I, I preferred it when I asked him this offline, and he just says no flatly. No. Then there's just dead silence, <laughs> no explanation, just no. She's one of those actresses like I, I've never understood the the draw for her. Uh, me, I can kind of see it too. My friend Tim Wynn thinks she's the the cat's meow. I'm not saying she's not a beautiful woman. She's pretty. I'm not saying that you liked her in that that jazz, all that jazz. Well, yeah, I like that. And I kind of liked her character in Red Two or whatever that re- the retired experience don't know it. with Bruce Willis or whatever. But even that, she's got this weird—I don't know—she's got this weird affectation when or this weird thing. <laughs> she married she, to Michael Douglas. That's kind of suck. Yeah, and then he blamed her for giving him cancer. Cancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't catch it, Michael. You can't ca- well, you know, he, Lance Armstrong gave it to. Uh, Cheryl Crow. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew cancer was con- uh, was contagious. Uh, contagious. <laughs> anyway, so it's. Oh uh, wait. Oh shit. We um. What? With the present from Amy. Yes. Oh, Amy. Right. She sent. Yeah. You Amy. Tell- Thank you, Amy. Amy sent us Very this sweet. lovely little present. It, it's uh, she, uh, uh, Amy so, lives in West Virginia. Amy lives in West Virginia. She's a she's one of our top fans. She sent us a lovely little West Virginia magnet and a little itty bitty uh, Bigfoot uh, character. Uh, 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 yeah, it's a little figurine. A little it's figurine, about an inch figurine. and a half tall, and, and it's, it's got. Very, very he's cute. a teeny little mascot, <laughs> and he and, and he comes in a little a little uh, bag with strings on it, and you're supposed to carry with you for good luck <laughs> and when amy texted me that she had sent something she says be on the lookout for it i just sent it she goes i couldn't find enough stickers for the en- yeah. <laughs> envelope so one of the stickers is eugene from bob's burger dressed up as bob squatch and i stuck it <laughs> on the side of the refrigerator it's really funny. so it's very very, very thoughtful so thank, thank you. you very much amy Luz, for sending that to us that was very sweet so we're not talking about bigfoot this week but we are going to talk about some murder so shall we move on Okay. <laughs> this one's Forensic Files. Forensic Files. Season 13. Season 13. Episode 42. Episode 42. Shoe in for murder. Ugh. Okay. Shoe in for murder. It's the summer of 1992, and Crystal Perry has bought a small cottage in the town of Bridgeton, Maine. It's about 3,000 people. She is a single mother, but she's a good mother. And in 1992, her daughter, Sarah Perry, was 12 years old. And we meet her here. Here she is. My mother's number one priority was taking care of me, and she did all she could to, you know, buy a house for us as soon as she could and make sure that, you know, I had a really stable upbringing. So Crystal has found work at a local shoe factory. Oh, wait, I want to pause you. Yeah? Guess what shoe company? Uh, Nike. No. L.L. Bean. And where are we? L.L. Bean. Maine. Sabago. I don't even know what that is. They So back in the 80s, everybody had top, Sperry Topsiders, uh-huh. you had Dexter Topsiders, sure. and there was Sabago, was yeah. the other brand. I don't remember that at all. Oh, good well, you're the brand person here. That's I your know. job. So she worked at Sabago putting, making shoes. Uh, anyway, okay. I, I was impressed by that. <laughs> so this is Lisa Marches. She is the Assistant Attorney General for Maine. Whoever you meet to speak with her, they would say she she worked very hard at the local shoe shop trying to make a better life for, for she and Sarah. So it was a peaceful, happy life for Crystal and Sarah. But one night after Sarah's gone to bed, she is awakened by shouting. 
And it's a little weird because she gets up and she doesn't go out and open the door and confront whatever's going on. She just stays in her room. Well, it's adults. Right. She realizes that eventually, in her words, she's going to have to make contact with the outside world. So she goes out and she thinks she sees her mom on the floor, but she's not sure. I'm woken right up from sleeping with her saying no as loud as she can in the loudest, most terrified voice that you could ever imagine. I heard silverware clanging against each other. After that, I heard a repetitive banging noise, which I figured was someone killing someone else with a knife. I have to make contact with the outside world and I have to do what I can if she has any chance at living. So this is Lieutenant Walter G-R-Z-Y-B. Oof. I don't, I don't I know even, what that means. Yeah. But the lines to the house have been cut, so okay. Sarah's got to go out. She didn't hear the attacker leave. She wasn't sure if the attacker was still in the house. So she ran a half mile to a neighbor's house, but no one's there. So she kept running, and I think she's in her bare feet. In the reenactment, she's in her bare feet. Well, see, that's. I wish I could have had a better um, uh, layout of the housing thing. So the house was that isolated? I, I think it was. I didn't realize it was quite that isolated. But yeah. That's interesting. Go ahead. Well, she finally makes it to a small restaurant that's open late at night. They have a pay phone, and here's the 911 call. And I said, someone's killed my mother, and, and I think this person could be after me. I really need to call 911. She was remarkably calm in that call. She's like, yeah, well, there's blood everywhere. I think my mom's been stabbed. I, but compared to some of the, you know, you, the, we, we, it's all over the map with 911 calls, but she well, was very, I, she was clearly in shock, right? We have, we have definitely made the point that the more serious and truthful the 911 callers are, the clearer and easier they are to understand. Right. So, the, <laughs> But, you know, she's 12. She's yeah, just run a, she's half a mile in the night. Her mother's scared laying, to death. Here's Walter again. It's a horrific scene. Crystal Perry is lying on the kitchen floor. There's blood everywhere. There's pools of blood. There's footprints in blood. There's blood drops. So she had been stabbed more than 50 times. Oof. 50. Now, when you get that many stabs, it's usually a crime of passion. They're right. like, well, that, that kind of thing, those up close. So that's that's rage from a betrayed lover, that's a scorned rage. lover. Yeah. There's blood everywhere. This is Detective Herb Lighton. He's a bloodstain pattern analyst. And there is a shit ton of blood at this crime scene. And it gives them a lot to go on. Blood, as you are fascinated with blood spatter, Jack. I know I am. And uh, they used it to good effect in this one. There was a bloodshed event that occurred in the living room area. And that extended from that area into the kitchen where she was found. We classified this as a crime of passion because of the overkill, which usually 99% of the time leads it to be somebody known and some, some acquaintance of the, of the victim. She was in her bathrobe. It was later at night, and for her to be comfortable um, to open the door, if that's what happened, it certainly suggests she either knows them or would recognize them. So since there's no indication of a forced entry and she's in her bathrobe, they're assuming she knew the person. And it's a small town, Bridgeton, so you know it's not implausible that she would have known her attacker just to say hi in the street, right? Right, but she also, the, the, the little girl... 
Sarah. Sarah. Sarah even said she's like, you know, I'm not. I was. I was a. T- you know, almost a teenager. It was my mom and I. I knew that she dated and she had boyfriends and stuff. So this was not. Yeah, we do get to a boyfriend who eventually comes into this, and so it was not. She go, knew go, that if there was a guy over, she wasn't supposed to be coming out. You know, like stay uh, scarce, so to speak. Right. Because she said something. It's like it's us against the world, or something. She like did. That at she some did. Point. Yeah. So there's blood everywhere, and it looked like the killer had tried to clean up, and which is always a mistake. The the frantic killer, and the you know, you can see the impressions of the sponge and the blood. There are boot prints. One type of boot print. And this is Alicia Wilcox, and she's a footwear examiner. I can't tell, but I think she's Irish. There were footwear impressions of varying quality and clarity um, all throughout the flooring. Um, approximately 20 or more were visible. So there yeah, she was... She had that weird... She had a little tinge of an yeah, accent to her voice. She yeah, kind of yeah. sounded like that episode of whatever crime show you yeah, were just watching. Yeah. What was that called? I don't even know what that one was. It was a, Baham- a, a guy from the Bahamas, Bahamid... A military police transferred to Scotland it uh-huh. was this, and solved crimes. I know, and I'm like, well, it was good. It's a great premise. The whole time, I'm like, these accents are killing me. You watch a lot of those. The I one do. that was set in um, Tasmania. I like that one. <laughs> so, I can't remember the name of that database for um, shoe soles. It's it's funny, and I tried to look it up just now on Google, and I can't find it. Anyway, there was only one boot print pattern in the blood. So, if there were, if there was more than one assailant. They would have both had to have been wearing the exact same shoe. Also, they say that the fingerprints are too bloody to be used. I've never heard of that before. There are blood prints. There are fingerprints in the blood, but they're too bloody to lift. I don't understand that. Well, because they're too wet, I think. Isn't that because they're like too wet? I don't know. I, I just It sounds weird to me. Now the bloodstain expert notices that there are passive blood drops on her, on her body. And those are drops that have come from a stable object above her, which means the assailant was most likely injured in the attack and was bleeding on top of her. So the drops are coming straight down. They're perfectly circular. You following that? Yes. So she's laying there in her blood Mm -hmm. and whoever bled on her was leaning over and the droplets had fallen off and landed in perfect little circles on her. It's very telltale. Yes. What stood out to us was uh, clearly you could see some blood droplets which were on her leg, on her exposed leg. And when we examined the blood droplets, it was consistent with a passive blood drop. So Detective Walter makes the observation that blood is the consistency of motor oil, and it really is. Anybody who's ever cut their finger, it's like, that's it's very greasy. Blood's very greasy feeling. Ugh. And the knife probably slipped out of the killer's hand. That, that, that is not uncommon. Yeah, and when these savage attacks, and he cut himself. And so there's these passive blood drops everywhere. So they do find a shoe in the local shoe store that matches the one they found in the blood. Oh, speaking of which, because yeah. I, 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 you just mentioned it, the database was called Soulmate. Soulmate, that's it. Soulmate. Thank you. And, I was searching Soulmate. It's called Soulmate. And there's a couple of different ones. Soulmate is the one that we, you know. We that's love a, it. Because there's an, also another one called C-Car, which is oh, feet, shoe, or oh, shoes, and tires. No, soulmate. Soulmate, soulmate is the one I know. That's the one you were trying to remember, yeah. It's funny that she works at a shoe store and the, soul, the shoe evidence is going to play a big exactly that's fantastic it's kind of ironic i but i digress save a go so the likely suspect is of course her ex-husband tom tom lives about six miles away and he has not been a part of young sarah's life 
My parents divorced when I was three or four, and um, I didn't really have a relationship with my father. He was in town, but I didn't know him very well. At the time of the homicide, Crystal and Tom were not getting along. They didn't care for one another. It may well have been over child support issues. So Thomas does not like Crystal, and his girlfriend, Joanne, hates Crystal. Which is, I don't understand that. I I have never understand that. I understand that if you, you break up and somebody that you were with is with somebody else, it's, I understand it's always, that there's going to be a level I'm of sure uncomfortableness. Like Thomas has to pay child support, and she doesn't like it. And, but, you know. but they... It, it, it's petty. It's, it's shitty. It's 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 a it's a lack of character in my opinion. Anyway, okay, go ahead. Well, the investigator throws a little shade on uh, Joanne. <laughs> this is Chief Richard A. Pickett. <laughs> there was no love lost between the two of them. Joanne is jealous of Crystal, and to the point where where she had even had a altercation in a local bar one night. The Crystal was punched in the eye, and she had a big black eye. They were quickly pulled apart by the the bar owners. Joanne is actually charged with assault. Somebody was always calling saying Joanne's involved. I'm not saying that she's a girl that could commit murder, but but uh, she was a tough girl. So that second guy was Detective Harriman, and he's got one of the better New England accents in this episode. Uh. So their alibi is each other. Tom is like, I was home with Joanne. Joanne's like, I was home with Tom. So that's not really a very good alibi. Right. But they checked the DNA and that was under Crystal's fingernails and at this crime scene and in the blood. All of there's, there's a shit ton of DNA evidence. None of it matches either of them. So Sarah said she thought she recognized the voice of the man arguing with her mother that night. And it was her boyfriend, Dennis Butler. He's 19 years old. And Sarah said she had seen him argue with her mother and that he went from zero to 100 a bunch of times. I had seen him go from being irritated to being uh, pretty angry very quickly. Dennis and Crystal had a volatile relationship. Clearly there would be some hurdles with her being 30 and Dennis being 19. Crystal says to a co-worker that there was an incident involving her where Dennis and her got into a fight. And during the fight, it was a verbal fight and he had showed a knife and made a threat to kill her. To make things look even worse, Dennis once told, Crystal told a co-worker that Dennis once said he was going to kill her in an argument. I don't That's another one. Never threaten. Why are you saying that? Never say shit like that. Why are you saying that kind of stuff? Dennis, he's 19. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a big brouhaha because he was so much younger than her. Yeah. She was 34 and he was 19. And you know, though, scientifically, Mm -hmm. that is the male peak and that is the female peak. It makes sense. If it was the other way around, a 34-year-old guy going out with a 19-year-old girl, no one had bat an eye. They'd pat him on the back. You know, Uh, way to go. She landed landed someone, you know, and he's getting something young. But when it's the other way around, it's made fun of. Right. It's kind of funny. So he says the night of the murder, he was at his parents' house, but his parents couldn't vouch for him because they've gone to bed at 8 o'clock. It is rural Maine, you know. And uh, he took a lie detector test, and he failed it both times. But as we both know, lie detector tests aren't admissible in court for a reason. They are extremely inaccurate. I wish we need to find, as I'm still trying to get someone with the, uh, with the uh, luminol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, it would be interesting to talk to somebody who can actually explain... 
the lie detector thing. Right. Because I've taken, I've had, I've had them for clearances and stuff and I've always passed. Yeah. I mean, and it's always been funny to me because it's like, well, tell the truth. But I, I, if I were worried that I was going to be possibly fingered for, I hate that expression, for a murder or something. And they were like, did you have anything to do with the murder of Cookie Puss Johnson? (laughs) I would tense up at that question, even if I didn't do it. And I have said too, that I have a guilty conscience about everything. Mm -hmm. I was behind the, you know, I, it was, me i was on the knoll you know whatever I, <laughs> grassy knoll exactly you killed kennedy i know exactly <laughs> because it's just the way you know you start you and i had this conversation once before where it was like somebody keeps saying something to you enough times and you're like well wait maybe i did and they deprive you, know, you of yeah, sleep you yeah. know 19 hours into it i guess i did do it yeah no it's creepy so anyway everything is now pointing to dennis as the killer everything pointed to him everything and, I mean, the more we get into it, the more fingers begin to point at him. So now that Crystal's been killed and uh, that piece of shit Tom doesn't want to have anything to do with Sarah, she has to move away to Texas to live with family members. And she has a total nervous breakdown at one point. And, you know, who wouldn't? Right. Your mom stabbed. Your she m- saw the gore. She saw it. And then her dad doesn't want her. And she has to move to Texas. Here she is. When I fell apart, I really did fall apart. And... You know, cried a lot and had a lot of fear. I didn't want to be left alone in the house. So as we've discussed, we know that the lie detector tests are not admissible in court. But since Dennis failed it twice, he's like, I know I look really bad for this. I have the same size shoe that you found in the, the, the blood evidence. So the noose is tightening. So he gives them a DNA sample. And if you're Dennis, you're going to be like, it's not going to... His DNA is going to be in that house because he was her boyfriend, he was, right? They were, ha- they were having a relationship. So... Correct. It would be there in like maybe hair or on clothing and stuff, but the blood shouldn't match him. But he gives them the DNA evidence and he says, this is looking bad for me. When you come back to arrest me, will you go around the back and not make a big scene out of it? Because Isn't that my- kind of sweet in a weird <laughs> way? Was. Like he's like, I don't want to make the people. I don't want to make this- the store look, look bad. bad. <laughs> and it cracked up the investigator. He says, I know everything's going to point to me. And so when it does, uh, just, you know, try to give me a little bit of courtesy here when you come to get me at my place of work would you come in the back door because they've been really good to me and i don't want to embarrass the business i think in my whole 15 years in the homicide unit i don't think i ever had anybody say that to me well but see but doesn't that give you like well he seems kind of sweet you know because again you know i say this all the time good company in the car a lot of men are dumb dumbs Mm. they're just dumb dumbs so he's got this temper he's picks fights with girls he does all this kind of stuff yeah but he's not necessarily a bad (laughs) Bad person yeah he's just a dumb (laughs) just a dope so his dna comes up negative and the investigators are so surprised that they insist that the lab check it again I was shocked that it did not come back Dennis's. They were all all in shock. I think they were all probably 99% sure that Dennis was the one. Dennis is such a logical suspect, they ask that it be tested again. The DNA come back and DNA doesn't lie. And it was not Dennis. Now, see, that's because this is one of those things that's always interesting with all the crime shows. It has to be him. It has to be him. It has to be him. And 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 it wasn't him. And they were like, check it again. It has to be. Talk about confirmation (laughs) bias. It's got to be him. But it wasn't. And so DNA clears 
all of the suspects. But wasn't it weird too with him? Like he was like he had passed out drunk or something and didn't remember where he was. Was that this one? No, I don't think oh, okay. it was. Like he he had an alibi, but it was like I think that's where I was. I don't. Really I don't think remember. it was this one. But oh, okay. I, I, no, it yeah. wasn't this one. But the DNA evidence doesn't match anybody in town. They enter it into CODIS and they get no hits. And the case, as we've seen so many times before, should have been an easy one to solve. It goes cold. The town's people were very upset. I think any time you have a case that goes unsolved for a long period of time, it has even more of a dramatic impact. It's frightening for the people in town. So over the next 12 years, a bunch of theories are put forward and a bunch of different suspects, including serial killers, murderers from other parts of the state, are considered, but nothing comes of it. Sarah, at this point, is kind of given up hope. Really? Who can blame her? Because she's like 24 at this point. Yep. Eventually, so much time had passed that I accepted that we weren't going to find this person. What's surprisingly is 12 years after they have run the sample through the database, they run it again. States have, over the years, have made these pushes to get DNA evidence re-entered into CODIS, see if they've gotten a new, an updated hit. See, yeah, this is another one of those things I don't understand because it's like, well, anytime, I guess guess it wouldn't be possible. Anytime you get a new DNA sample. You can't, yeah, you run the whole thing again. It would have to completely rerun. Okay, yeah. So they get a hit. And in 1992, it would have been 19-year-old Michael Hutchison. So he has just gotten out. This is now 19... 2005. So he has just gotten out of seven months in a state prison in Maine for a weapons violation. And since that was a felony, he had to submit a DNA sample. It is his DNA. It was DNA to a mathematical certainty. It was him to the exclusion of everyone else. It was his DNA at the Crystal Perry residence. Okay, Lisa, calm down. We get it. It was an absolutely perfect match. I I thought she was going to wet herself. It's a perfect match. There's no one else on the planet who it could be. We, we know how DNA works. So this is why this case was so hard to solve. It didn't make any sense. It was purely it was, it random. Was an unknown character. So yeah. Michael lived about a mile away from Crystal, and although they were not friends, again, it was likely that they had known each other from around town, and she might have been familiar with him. So they call him in for questioning. But didn't, it, wait, wait, but didn't they imply also that there is a possibility that he had tried to ask her out or tried to go out with her? Uh, they said Maybe that, that they might put, have been in my research. They put that forward, but they could never prove it. And right. he never admitted so to it. So I think it was one of those things because he saw Crystal with the other younger guy. Uh-huh. He thought he had a chance. Oh, or that's, that's, that, sound, that's ringing a bell. Or that Crystal was... I'm not trying to be, you know, was kind of... She, but she liked younger guys. Yeah, she liked younger guys. So maybe he may have tried at some point, or they even possibly could have gone on a date or fooled around or whatever, and it didn't work out for whatever reason. So he was still in the background and no one knew who he was. Right, and his story for his DNA being there was that they were in a consensual relationship. It was an affair, it was on the down low. They had just finished having consensual sex when there was an intruder. He confronted him, the intruder knocks him out. When he comes to... He sees this unknown assailant dressed in black assaulting Crystal, so he just runs. And he's embarrassed because it's it's such an unplausible story. And he says, I'm just embarrassed, officers. I never came forward because I was embarrassed because I'm a coward. That's uh, just... It doesn't. It's it's so on the fly. And we get this so often. It's like, you didn't. 
file dumb, that dumb. under things that absolutely did you not happen. Yeah. And Sarah's like, I never saw him there. Right. Because that's when she's like, listen, I'm not. Na-. That was when she was talking about him. I, she was talking about her mom. I'm not naive. You right. know, she's a single mom. And she's we live together. She's we like, live, we practically I knew what, together. you know, that there's stuff going on. Yeah. Okay. So even Hutchison's ex-wife, who had to file a temporary restraining order against him during their marriage, didn't believe he was capable of murder. I don't believe Michael's a murderer. I don't believe he's capable of it, and I support him fully. Because she was in the court thing. She was. Yeah. We learned Hutchinson had a drink and drug problem. Of course he did. And a lot of people told investigators that he was super problematic. We had former girlfriends saying that, you know, he was a nut. You know, he'd drink and get get ugly and get mean. People that we spoke to just said that he... Um... He was just a real erratic during this time. You didn't know what to expect from him. So naturally, like all of us, they're not believing his telling of the events. At the crime scene, it looked like only one person had been in Crystal's bed. And if they had been having an affair with Crystal, Sarah surely would have been familiar with I would have known. I was living in the house. We really lived as a pair. You know, when you live with a single mother, you know what's going on in her life. So back to the footprint evidence, here's our examiner, and she might be from Ireland. Her name's Alicia Wilcox, and it looks like only one person was there. It appeared from my analysis that there was only one person there at the crime scene, leaving down that outsole design when the blood was wet. Uh, do you like the Irish accent? I like all accents. You do? I think accents are fun. They did a survey in England 10, 15 years ago in the UK. It was like the Telegraph. And they said of all the UK accents, which one do you find when you call customer service? Do you like hearing? And they said the Irish accent. And most people are like, uh, I, when I hear an Irish accent, I it conveys trust and um, uh, you know positive qualities, hardworking. Possibly. Isn't that great? It's always interesting to me when I hear a Scottish accent because... A, a real Scottish accent, when it's when they're speaking English, mm-hmm. it makes the English sound so pure. Uh-huh. It's very Isn't that crisp. weird? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. So the DNA from the blood evidence matches Hutchinson. So he's arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Uh, investigators believe that he might have been high on drugs, and he stopped at Crystal's house, and he made up the, like, can I use your phone? My car broke down. Nobody and so she lucky. kind of, yeah. or maybe, but he she was familiar enough with him to be like, okay, use it. He gets in. He assaults her. She fights back. He stabs her. He cuts himself on the knife. And there's even a scar to this day down the center of his right hand where clearly a knife went deeply into his hand. So he goes on trial and he gets life in prison. He actually testified in his own defense, and he tried to tell the jury that story about, I was sleeping with her, uh, the attacker came in, I ran for my life, and I never told anybody. But it, it, this is that evidence thing. It's like, there was only one person in the bed, there was uh, only the, one... The, the, the evidence was so overwhelming Ugh. for him to... So the dude they cast, and Forensic Files, you nailed it. The reenactment dude who played Hutchinson looked exactly like him. I even froze the frame and took a picture. Oh, my God. <laughs> we get this one little bit at the end with Sarah, who is the one who has really the, suffered the most from all of this. And she turned out okay. And she has a pretty realistic understanding of the world. And, you know, with all she's been through, this is kind of her world outlook. Right. The best I can do is accept that there is pure evil in the world and that that there are people who are not redeemable. So, yeah, there are evil people in the world, Sarah, and you just have to make your peace with it. It doesn't make any kind of sense. And we get one last roundup from everybody saying how important the DNA and forensic evidence was because it's the forensic files. I would say the scientific facts in this case really have ruled out any sort of ambiguity that might have been left in anyone's mind. 
It was the investigators that found the blood spot that didn't belong on Crystal Perry's leg, but it was the DNA that really solved the case because without that, we never would have found Michael Hutchinson. If not for forensic science in this case, we, we probably would have put the man, wrong person behind bars. And that is the creepy tale of Crystal... What was Crystal's last name? Perry. Crystal, Crystal what? Perry. Perry. Crystal Perry. So in my research, uh, Sarah... Uh, just so you know, Sarah Perry... Sarah Perry grew up, got an education, and is a writer. Oh, yeah. She actually wrote a book about the incident with about her mother after the eclipse... Grief, the Law, and the Making of a Memoir. And she, you know, had researched this all of her life. She'd followed yeah. it. This was not something that she, you know, tried to forget or whatever. No, she, I'm she sure it haunted her. And Jesus. She was, she's an accomplished writer. I believe that. Good for you. I believe the article was in the Huffington Post. She oh. also had another article. So, <laughs> so growing up with a, with a fluid mom, she is pansexual, okay. I think. And, or no, 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 not pansexual, polyamorous, excuse oh, me, polyamorous. Okay. So she actually wrote this- kind of honoring her mom. <laughs> very interesting article where she and her uh, boyfriend, yeah. her boyfriend, uh, he was seeing somebody else and she was writing it from the place of, from the place of I'm jealous, but I want him to have this. It was a very, it's, if you look it up, I'm sure, I'm you sure can it's find fascinating. It. It's very, very interesting. People it, who are capable of carrying on a polyamorous relationship have got to be really grounded. I don't have I it think. in me. Yeah, I don't have it in me. Yeah. And uh, Hutcherson is now serving life in prison. Yep. And uh, I wanted to get his mugshot, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it either. Uh, she, she, the book, which has been called a fierce memoir, uh, talking about the uh, murder of her mother. The, yes, after yeah. the, after the eclipse is the name of the book. I'm so impressed by people who go through a traumatic event early in life and they overcome it and actually become, you know, accomplished. You know, because so many people. Something that traumatic happening to you as a 12-year-old, right. spiraling into drugs and alcohol, no one would blame you. And it exactly. happens all the time. And you know, it's just, it's just PSD. Right. And P- moving down T-S-D. to Texas and living with, I'm assuming, relatives. Yeah. She, so she's a, a, an academic in Texas now. Good so for good her. for her. Well done, Sarah. Something good came out of something yes. very, very awful. Well, again, everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yes. Au revoir, Vet. Au revoir. <laughs> au revoir? No. That's your, that's your tagline. Let's do that yeah. again. Thanks for listening. Au revoir, Vet. can't have it. She's in love with me. Can't help it. Girl, can't help it. 